0: Well, welcome, welcome, everyone, to Let's Talk Diaspora. We are in, I believe we're in season three now, if I remember correctly, and um, we've got two great guests with us today. Um, I wish you could see their faces. We've got a long beard, Steve Moses, with us today, and um, as Jason um went earlier told us he's really young with his young baby face. Jason <laughs> Adams Brown is with us. <laughs> so um just want you to get ready to hear about trauma care um in the diaspora. So welcome guys. We're glad to have you.
1: Thanks.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks for bucking, bud. Good to be here.
3: Yeah. So great to have you guys on talking about an important topic and um I just have a question maybe to kick us off. And, and we are talking about trauma care, trauma-informed care, trauma healing. Maybe the first place to start, and this is just helpful for me, is maybe just defining what your preferred term is. And is there is there differences in the terms? And how would you define what we're going to be talking about? So we're just jumping right in. But um, I think for me personally, and hopefully our listeners, that that's a good starting point for us just to just to hear about that. And then we'll give you guys an opportunity to introduce yourselves.
1: Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I think that um, in different contexts, I use that words those words differently. So trauma healing, trauma-informed, uh, and then even use the word trauma. And then, um, so when I think about, uh, the words I like to use actually are more trauma-sensitive. So, I use that often. And what I mean more about that is being trauma informed is we can have all that information and you can be trained and equipped and understand trauma, but are you actually being sensitive and actually implementing what you've actually learned? And so, then that backs up to what do we mean by the word trauma? And there's a little bit longer there about the word trauma, but to answer your question directly, trauma-sensitive is what I I lean toward.
3: Great. Uh, Jason, anything you would want to add?
2: Yeah, no, I think some stuff will come up later in the the conversation as well around different wordings that we use at times. But, yeah, the main thing I I would have highlighted is the same Steve did around trauma-sensitive, so
0: which I love when you say that I hear the word listening, a lot of listening, a lot of being there and really listening and learning. So I'm excited to hear kind of all that is involved. Well, guys, can you tell us, um, maybe Jason, you can start for us. Let us know. How did you get involved in this trauma sensitive? subject?
2: Yeah. Um, I think it, you know, it started even when I was overseas uh, my wife and I, before we ever had kids, you know, we had them on, on when we were overseas, but we moved to the province of Aceh, Indonesia, where they were having a civil war. Um, and then, five years into our time there, the tsunami in 2004 happened as well. And so, in kind of ministering and, and living along this province, recognizing the massive impact that um, multiple major traumas that happen and how it impacts the people that you're trying to love and share with and have community with. Um, and so I began to really, uh, I actually started to get an MFT degree thinking I wanted to gain some extra skills on this to be able to use for ministry. Um, and then at uh, in 2009, we transitioned to a new role in Singapore and there, I was doing um, a lot of work related to different um, Muslims that had come to be followers of Jesus, and then at, at recognizing the impact that, that the trauma had on them as well, whether it was major persecution from their family, or the community, or just that incredible shift from feeling like they're all alone and that kind of trauma and recognizing Man, sometimes I'm doing this so quickly. I'm, I'm I'm wanting to have this impact, and I'm wanting to see church planting movements. I'm wanting to see this. I'm wanting to see that, and recognizing that at times I was really not dealing deeply with some of the issues that they were needing. Um, so yeah, then coming back to the states, uh, I'm not sure that this was something I was going to continue doing but even and then starting to work for Global Gates began to recognize that this was still a passion of mine and desire. I have a high capacity to sit with people in pain and suffering and, um, and listening to them and bearing witness to their story. And so that's kind of a, my story of getting to trauma care at this point.
1: You know, my story, I've worked with Muslim peoples for about 27 years now. And at one point, after moving back from living in North Africa and the Middle East, I um, became the director of a refugee resettlement agency. And so I was helping bring in immigrants and refugees to the United States. And someone came to me and said, How are you caring for their emotional and psychological? care and health. And I remember thinking, we're not like at all, like zero, like, um, there's nowhere the, at that time, the the United States, our government didn't have a box for that. It was helped them with social services and getting a job and housing and kids in school and all those kind of things. And someone said, I think you need to think about caring for that. And I remember thinking, I don't have time. I just don't have time. Uh, There's, there's no way. And they, and then I realized I really need to think about this more. And then I Googled like literally like trauma and refugees and I get like 2 million sites and I was like, where do I land this plane? And someone came to me and said, I think you should think about this particular training, um, that I started with mainly because it was in like a hundred languages already. It was in a hundred different countries. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is helping me because I don't need to figure out how to do translation work and do all that kind of stuff. And also it was taking basic mental health principles and taking the Bible. So all those things I was like, oh, this is you know not just only psychosocial things and it's not only just uh, just read the Bible and life's going to be better kind of thing because we want to have both of that. So that's how I got involved. And then as I went further in that, My wife and I realized that, you know, trauma doesn't play favorites. Surprise, surprise, friends. It doesn't target the rich or the poor, the young or the old, men or women or children or this religious group or that religious group. That actually, we're all been affected by trauma. And so then it just made this more even radical shift for our family to be like, okay, this is taking on not just I want to get trained and equipped to help, quote, those people. It affects all of us.
0: As you mentioned the word trauma, what? how do you define trauma? What I mean, as we think about different trauma aspects, what would that look like?
1: Yeah. So when I hear the word trauma, people often are like, usually think I don't have any trauma because I'm not like, and they'll compare it to something else or they'll think I have so much trauma, you know, no one can help me. So often I tell people, um, I ask those questions about, do you have any pain, loss or suffering in your life? And usually people are like, yes, because we all have pain, loss and suffering. So thinking about that, another way I think about like what trauma is, is, um, that when you suffer alone, okay, that can lead to trauma. So when you feel like you're alone and whatever that suffering you have, it can lead to trauma Another way of looking at it is that trauma is often not so much about an event or even a series of events. It's about our perception of what happened in that event. And so that often shapes some things when we think about trauma. And then I think the last thing I would say, um, and then Jason can add to this as well, is I think there's an understanding of what we mean by trauma A's and trauma B's. Most of the time when we use the word trauma, we're thinking of trauma B's. Meaning B, think about bad things happen to us. And people say, Well, I don't have any trauma because I haven't had any really quote bad things happen to me. I haven't been in war, I haven't been abused, there hasn't been any kind of those kind of things in my life. But there is another kind of trauma, and that's trauma a, that's absence of things, right? Um, when you were being raised, did people view you and enjoy being with you and they just liked being there? Were you able to be in a position of just receiving? The, the absence of things there. So trauma A's and trauma B's that helps us also understand trauma in different ways.
3: So we are the let's talk diaspora podcast. It's very applicable. You were working you know, with a resettlement agency. Many people that come to the U S come that route. And, and, and maybe this is um, a question that doesn't have a scientific or a research driven answer, but just from your experience, like what, what number of people coming in the diaspora have experienced either one trauma a or trauma B? Like, are are we talking, Hey, there's 40%, 90%, hundred percent. What, what is in your opinion, what does that look like?
1: Well, I'm going to give you more than my opinion. How about that? I'll, I'll give you some, even some data points here to help with that. Um, I will say this, that, um, Dr. Diane Langberg, who has done a lot of research about pain, loss, suffering, trauma, I mean, she's credited for saying that trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field in the 21st century. It's probably the greatest mission field in every century, to be honest with you. But we'll just say the 21st century. So when you look at the the National Council of Beha- the of the National Council of Behavioral Health, says that 70% of adults in the U.S. have experienced some type of traumatic event in their lifetime. Okay, that's that's people in the United States, adults, 70%. Okay, so then you go to the diaspora you're talking about, and this comes from a book called Seeking Refuge, and it was written when the Syrian crisis was kind of going on several years ago. So it's some data points from then, and their research showed that 39 percent of refugees have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, versus one percent of the general population. Right. I mean, think about that. Almost a 40 percent increase um, of people that are coming from a refugee background have PTSD versus the general population. So there's a few data points there thinking about who's coming here.
2: But, yeah, they, they uh, another way, even with Steve was talking earlier around defining trauma, um, some talking about it in terms of. Um, things that you didn't receive, right? And so if you think about childhood, there's six key things that every child needs from their parents. Um, And I'm not going to remember all six off the top of my head. My memory's not as good as Steve's, but, you know, there are examples like uh, were your parents able to deal with your difficult emotions, even your big ones? Um, Were your parents attuned to your emotions and your needs? Um, could your parents tell when you were in distress and would try to comfort you? Those types of things. Well, I'm not saying that to put a value statement on everybody's parenting, but I think for almost all of us, we'd say uh, there were times where we did not receive that. And it's at different levels in terms of the impact on our lives. Um, it's one of the things I, you know, I tell my kids, hey, we're, we're going to save some funds for uh, your college And future therapy, because I know there's ways that we've caused harm unintentionally at times. And I always want you to let me know that and come and be honest with me. And um, so it's not about being perfect parents, but there's many times just the stresses of our own lives. We're not able to be attuned. We can't deal with the big emotions of our kids and those types of things. And that can cause trauma for a child that can later develop even into some things into adulthood.
3: That's very helpful um so our preface this is the let's talk diaspora podcast and typically our conversations are related around uh you know sharing the gospel disciple making and 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 those types of topics and it's not to the neglect of the health of the disciple right so it's like we we want disciples to reproduce that are worth producing so i think this is a really important topic in that but how can you help us think through how tr- trauma sensitive uh how we can be trans? how let me start that again can you help us think through how being trauma sensitive helps people come to christ and grow in the relationship with christ or maybe the opposite or the negative of that is when trauma hasn't been dealt with how does it keep them from that
2: yeah i'll answer i'll say something here steve and then steve and I were talking about this earlier, and he's got a lot of great input around this. So one thing I would add um, is when you think about the impact that trauma has on our brain, and how we actually f- some things, ways that we react to keep ourselves from feeling like the world's not chaotic. Um, so a short conversation around this would just be, you know, when the when the brain, imp- how the trauma impacts a brain is if you're in a traumatic event. There's all these different ways that you're processing that event. It's what you see, what you smell, what you think, what your, what your body inclinations, those types of things. And they're all stored in different parts of your brain. And when it's a healthy memory, the neurons uh, that connect to those different parts of your brain are thick and healthy. But when it's a traumatic event where, as Steve said earlier, you were alone in that trauma, you didn't have a parent or a loved one that attuned to your emotions and your needs in that moment, that memory can become those the neurons are very thin and not connected. Well, one of the ways, especially when we've had multiple trauma events, um, one way that we respond to that, to, to help ourselves feel more like we have control because it, our, the brain is in that's in that sense is, um, is referred to as fragmented as opposed to integrated. And so in a fragmented brain, you you can literally feel like the ground beneath you is not sturdy, like it's chaotic. So one of the ways you respond to that is through dogmatism, where you start to believe things in such a way, in very black and white ways. You can't deal with neon nuance. Um, you... Um, It may not be something that you've really researched to understand, but it's really based on how those decisions make you feel. And so when we're sharing uh, Jesus with someone from a different religious background, and they have a lot of trauma, and dogmatism is one of those things that's making them feel less chaotic, and we start bringing a whole other way of thinking around God, around how we should live, and all these different types of things of who Jesus was and is, um, if they're if that dogmatism is keeping them to feel like the ground is level, uh, just beginning to think that could be wrong, boy, it can it can feel like suddenly everything feels chaotic, and you dig deeper into dogmatism at that point. And I've seen this when I've been sharing with people in the past, and sometimes uh, so with evangelism, how do we respond to that? Do we respond with like frustration because we think this guy's a jerk? Do we respond with digging in deeper in how we are going to keep sharing? Are we going to try to um, go deeper into you know, fear and shame to get them wanting to accept this? All of those types of things can really cause, I think, uh, it's just counterproductive, but can also cause more damage. And even if, they, even if they suddenly start to shift to what we're proposing to them around the gospel, they may come to the gospel in a very dogmatic way as well, and then they're not relating to others well because we never help them work through and deal with their trauma. Um, and so I think that has a lot of implications, and I know Steve has some a lot of experience around this as well.
1: No, that's good. Thanks for sharing those things, um, Jason. Those are those are helpful. You know, when I think about how does being trauma sensitive, and understanding trauma affect um, evangelism, disciple-making, the very first thing that comes to mind is um, several of Muslim background believers that I know from various contexts have told me, even said, Steve, you have to go tell your friends in the West this, what I'm about to tell you. They said, you cannot have... Disciple making without trauma healing, and they said they need to know you have to have both those things. And so, what they mean by that is, there's people that maybe know how to present the gospel, but then, th- then through that, people start sharing some of their pain, loss, and suffering, and people don't know what to do with that. Right. So, for example, someone was telling me about this where people are crossing over the border of the United States, at the southern border, and a woman had just lost her. Baby, but there were people there that were prepared to give out Bibles, right? But they didn't know how to comfort this woman that had just lost her child, but they knew how to give out a Bible and give some kind of presentation. Well, that woman needed more than just that Bible to read in that moment, she needed some care. So, part of that is what we're learning is to actually validate with people and comfort them before we start trying to give them that. But if not, it just becomes this transaction of things. And so part of that is learning to ask questions with them. And so there's also a presupposition that we're assuming when we're presenting things, we're saying that God is good. Their perception may be different. Uh, You're telling me God's good? Well, then why did my child just pass away? Why am I separated from my family? Why have I been, been abused? Why are these things happening to me? If God is merciful, is God if if He is loving, why is there all this suffering happening in my life? How do we answer those kind of questions? Because then, if we're not careful, we want people to actually bond with God the way we're sharing with Him, not out of even fear, not a fear bonding, but a love-joy-filled bonding of knowing those things. I think another thing I think about is the way you're presenting to people People have different maturity levels, emotional and psychological uh, and not just like, oh, they're at a certain age of maturity, but they actually have different emotional maturity levels. And the way I present something, if I have it packaged for a certain thing, the way I share with someone that maybe has more of that emotional development of something that's at a different level than someone that's at a a higher level, then you got to change those maturity kind of things. And so I think listening with people, sitting with them, also with our brain having trauma, it actually makes it where we can't actually receive input. We know that if someone's not being relational with me and that they're just glad to be with me, so I need to be glad to be with that person, even when their life is crazy and chaotic, and that I, they know I'm not going to go anywhere, even if they say, you know what, I don't really want to follow the ways of Jesus. We don't just. Move away from them, we're still with them, and it doesn't just become this transaction of things. And I think also storytelling is really important of how we share a story of how God has healed us from our pain, loss, and suffering, or how we know that we weren't alone in our pain, loss, and suffering because God was with us. We know that God's with us, we say that as followers of Jesus, but how do we communicate, even in my hard times? in my life he was with me and actually he was with them even in their hard things so i think that changes some things and then the last thing that I'm thinking about is this quote from a woman named kathleen o'connor she does a lot of writing about lamenting and different things and she has this quote that i think is really important for us that are working in cross-cultural settings she says discounting our own pain is a sure sign that we cannot be a reverent witness to the pain of others. So I'll say that again, that if we discount our own pain, it's a sure sign that we cannot be a reverent witness to the pain of others. So we actually have to acknowledge that we have also experienced pain, loss, and suffering. But how do we talk about that we're a people that have suffered well, right? So we as followers of Jesus, we should be known as people that have suffered well. And so we're showing people that Um, here's how we've suffered well. We're not saying we don't suffer. We're actually saying we do suffer, but we know how to suffer well because He's actually with us in all those things. I think all those things right there affect how we do evangelism and disciple-making.
0: Which One of the things I'm hearing is that we need to be trauma-sensitive in our discipleship at all times, not one or the other evangelism Mm -hmm. or trauma-sensitive. We need to be both. So when you start building a relationship with someone, what does that look like um, as you begin to build a relationship with them? What kind of questions are you asking or how are you getting to know them um, to, to, I mean, I assume you would need to hear a little more of their story of their trauma and you don't just go say, I know you've had trauma. (laughs) Tell me about it. I mean, what does that look like on a practical basis?
2: Yeah, I'm sure Steve will have a lot to add to this as well. But I would say, you know, when I'm starting a relationship with someone and a lot of what I interact with here in the area that I'm in is other Afghans that have experienced a lot of trauma and their exit from Afghanistan and those types of things and the war in Afghanistan. Um, so often it's I, I'm not saying, hey, tell me about your trauma or even leading into that. But I am trying to make sure they know I'm a person that's safe, a person that cares for them a person that's patient when they're sharing that is not trying to use them in any way. Or like, as Steve said several times, that this is some transactional thing that I'm trying to do, but I'm actually caring for that person. Um, and then, uh, as they begin to share, I, you know, yeah, I can ask, you know, more specific questions like, you know, um, or I, A lot of times I just to say, hey, I know this has been so challenging or I express you know, something that shows that I at least can understand that, that this is such a difficult thing, and, but showing that I'm willing to be there for them. Um, and when they start to ask things, I can say, hey, I, you know, tell me more about that if you're comfortable. No pressure if you don't want to share. Um, but giving on that space to be an attuned listener and being aware. And when you are watching them, and you're watching their body, and you're watching their face, and you're seeing that, um, many times I'm saying a statement along the lines of, wow, I, I know there's so much I don't understand. But when I hear you share that with me, it helps me understand so much more. I think as Americans, there's something in American culture, I think, where we believe that if I let a person know, oh, I know exactly where you're coming from, or... You, we want to show that like, we understand so much about their culture to where it shuts a person down from actually communicating things. But if we let them be the expert and not feel like we've got to show our expertise, because that makes us feel like, hey, I'm a trusted person. I know all these things about your background, your experience and all that. That actually doesn't help people communicate and go deeper into that. It instead makes them think, ah, they know, so what's the point of talking about it? And so that phrase of saying... Wow, I just you know, I I did I can't understand that without you sharing more. And I every time I hear you talking about this, it helps me understand more. And I'm so sorry for what what you've experienced. Um, but leading into it that way, as opposed to coming across with, I know all these, all these things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the things that is I think really important is people knowing that you actually enjoy being with them. When we recognize when someone wants to be with us and they want to move on, I do think we talk a lot about we need to build trust before we they'll share with us. I'll just be honest with you. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, and the reason I say that is I'm thinking of multiple examples within the past week that I've met someone for the first time from a different culture that that they started sharing things with me And then next thing I know, they're sharing more things with me and they're sharing about their life and they're sharing these different things. And so, for example, one thing I change with people is I just say, hey, why don't you tell me what you've been enjoying recently rather than what you do? So I'm changing the conversation right off the bat, right? So I'm already getting their brain to think differently by asking that simple question. Hey, what'd you enjoy this week? What are you looking forward to getting those things versus a to-do list? Because we as especially Westerners go to the do list. And usually it just moves to a a complaint list. Like, here's all the things I don't want to do or had to do. And so just asking that and then just listening to them. So I was with a a Syrian man recently and he just looked, he was not like himself. I'd met him one other time and I said, how are you? And he said, I'm good. And I said, you look, something looks different. So that's me attuning to the fact of something looks off with him. Right. And I just said, what's, what's going on? And he proceeds to tell me other things in his life. He said, Thanks for giving me space to share that. Right. So then I just ask simple things like, Well, just tell me what happened. And then I'm like, Man, thanks for sharing that. You shared a lot with me. Would you want to, you know, tell me like how you were even feeling with that and those kind of things? Or like, What were some things that you were thinking about in that moment? And then he shares more of that. And then usually as they continue on, I'll say things like, man, thanks for sharing those things with me. Is there something that i used and was like the hardest thing for you and all that, right? But I was with another woman that was from the Philippines and I was just talking with her and she just talked about she had to leave to come here. And I started talking about I've helped people get here. And I was just sharing like, how how did you get here, right? I used to help people get here. I have that part of my background. So I use that often when people say, I know a little bit about that immigration process. So how'd you get here? Well I had to flee because of certain things and doing that and some of my family still left behind. And and then she starts sharing more things. She says, well some of my family passed away while I was here. And then that leads to, okay, what do I do with that? Do I just say, I'm sorry to hear that? I can. That's true. I am sorry to hear that. Or do I say, Wow, so how how are you feeling about that today? That you didn't get to go back for the funeral or the memorial service? right? Asking how you're about So, and then also asking things like, well, how, how have you been coping with that? That was just, that was so recent. How have you been coping with that? So learning some of those skills to not just say, I'm sorry, which is true, or like, I'll be praying for you. Maybe they want me to pray for you. These people weren't following the ways of Jesus, right? And so they're thinking, why are you going to pray for me? Or people that have been even hurt by people that are religious, right? In some way. So think, Part of it is learning those kind of things as well. So yes, you need to build trust. I understand that piece, but I think if we can do that, if we are trauma sensitive, we can be attuned to what's happening and recognizing those things and then asking those open-ended questions to help them actually process. Because you said this about being a good listener, and I, I totally agree with that. I think it is about being a good listener, but it's also being a good listener that's Asking questions for them to process, not just for me to get answers, right? So I can have more data points on them, and like, so do they feel like I'm, you know, do, am I filling out a report on them and interrogating them, or actually I'm inquisitive about their lives? And people know the difference from that. Like, I'm not going back and filling out a report, being like, here, here's all the things I'm telling you about Bud. Bud's like, dude, that doesn't feel welcoming, right? But am I enjoying listening to them and talking with them? And then that's what's going to change them. Me being calm me being non-anxious, me listening to them, me saying, I can actually have the capacity to actually hear really hard things about your life. And I'm not going to run away from that. That That is really powerful for people to experience that.
0: Well, it's powerful because you. I think as you say that, I think about how you're taking the whole conversation off of what you want are you, but really focusing in on them and helping them process and them, you know, prayerfully heal um, in a lot of different ways, all, prayerfully all the way to spiritually, but, you know, beginning with some of that emotional um, healing as well. Can you tell us if somebody wanted to learn more about how to get involved or where to get started, can you all give us some resources or um, places to start learning or learning more?
1: Yeah, I'll hit you with three things here. And you can go to these things, and then we'll make sure that you get this. One is called, I would go to crisiscareinternational.org. And look at that. There'll be, at times, listings of different trainings to get involved there. So CrisisCareInternational.org. Another is I'd go to TraumaHealingBasics.org. There's, like, one-minute videos, what's trauma? Or, like, there's different things about, like, these questions we're talking about. What's questions? you ask? It asks things of, like, how do you become a really good listener? And then uh, the other thing is feel free to, to reach out to me personally. I'm, you can gladly email me. Um, and that's, uh, Moses, my last name, M-O-S-E-S, Musings, M-U-S-I-N-G-S at gmail.com. Those three things are there. Feel free to look at those websites or you can email me directly. I'm glad to help in any way.
2: Same here. Do you guys do show notes? Yeah. Yes, so just obviously add, add my email. I'm happy to answer any questions or if people want to reach out share more
3: this is an interesting conversation every time i'm with steve moses or, or or you jason i i often recognize my my lack of sensitivity in this area so this has been an encouraging conversation for me um and i i just i just feel like i should share share this story just just this week um uh, a friend of mine visited the mosque And there were three Mauritanian guys sitting at a picnic table outside the mosque. The imam wasn't there. We're like, well, we'll we'll just go talk to these guys. And Mauritanians have been been coming through the southern border pretty readily. Um, They had come across in Tijuana, flew to New York City, and now they're in Texas. They've only been here five days, and they're just basically going mosque to mosque looking for help. And, uh, in, in my, you know, inefficient, but like desirable way, we just sat with them and, and heard about their journey for over an hour. And in that we had the opportunity to share some truth with them. We had conversations because it's inevitable that it it comes up, but that only happened because I had allocated time to spend time with the Imam and he wasn't there. And so just from a very type A personality person who desires to grow in this, you have to have margin in your, in your schedule. You, you can't be, I'm speaking to myself, but I'm assuming there's people like me that's listening. You can't continually be driven to the next thing because then people will feel like you have an agenda, that you're a project. And I'm not putting blame on anything, but I'm, I'm a, I'm the result of our culture and, Changing culture is is challenging, but what it becomes is change happens whenever you see that the benefit is greater than the pain it causes you to change. And the pain for me to change really isn't that much. I just have to see the benefit. And so for those listening, I just want to encourage you to consider the benefit that you would be able to have eternally, but also on a very personal level by by growing in these ways. So I felt like I I needed to share that just because I'm, I'm growing. You're listening. This may be new to you. Um, it's, it's a journey and I'm just so grateful to have people like Steve and Jason, uh, to help us along the way. Uh, one thing we do want to do is we want to pray for you two guys as, as we go. And so, uh, not always do we do this with with our podcasts and our listeners, but we, we want our listeners even to pause and pray for you guys, because what you're doing is important. And there there are people who will try to tell you, oh, you can invest your time in another way, and I'm just so grateful that you've made this commitment to this, because it's, it's needed. Um, let me pray. Father, God, thank you for Jason. God, thank you for Steve. Lord, we just pray that they would hear your voice like in Nehemiah, whenever you told him Uh, whenever we see that uh, Nehemiah said, I'm doing a good work, why should I come down and the work stop to meet with you? Lord, help these brothers see that they are doing a good work. Lord Jesus, those who are listening to this, God, I just pray that they would find these resources and just continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. And ultimately, Lord, that you would be glorified among the nations. And we pray that in your mighty name. Amen. So thank you all for listening to the Let's Talk Diaspora podcast. If you have found this um, episode helpful, please consider sharing it with others that it would benefit. If you've not uh, liked or subscribed to the podcast, do that. And also consider leaving a rating. It helps more people find content like this that will continue to help us serve the nations as they come to love and follow Jesus.